Hello, and welcome to the Code Youngstown podcast. My name is Neil Primmer, and joining me is Joe Dunko. Hey. Uh, along with Chris Harwell. Hi. Our guest today is Ben Reinhardt. Uh, ben, could you take a moment to introduce us to yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, hi, my name is Ben Reinhardt. I'm a software development engineer um, manager at AVI Food Systems in Warren, um, and I uh, I've been doing this for a little while here, about five-ish years um, in the Youngstown area. Excellent. Um, so, you know, I think when people think of AVI, they really think of like the vending machines or the, the food services that they see at like offices, vending. I know our school uses AVI food systems here. Um, you know, tell us how software really is involved in, in what AVI does. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, so AVI uh, is a traditional food service company. We're the one of the largest family. We are the largest family held um, company of food service provider in the United States. There are about 46 states. And, um, you know, a lot of times when you think of food, you don't really think of you know technology. Um, but I think in, in the last years, especially with the COVID pandemic uh, that has happened, it's actually been an increasing need to expand our footprint in technology. And that's kind of where I, I came in. Um, I was um, at AVI Food Systems, just as a background, I was at AVI Food Systems, um, left a little bit during the pandemic, came back as a manager. Um, and I'm currently running our, uh, our innovation team, which is a team focused on building innovative products to push the envelope and move things forward. Um, we're actually just finishing up a really fun product right now for, uh, it was actually, in conjunction with uh, one of our clients, a couple of our clients actually, it's a kind of a task management system called Drossy, which is a Greek word for action. Um, so that's been kind of fun to build with my team uh, using where I typically am using C sharp um, or uh, JavaScript, and we're using a little bit of Ionic in this new one, so with some Angular um, framework uh, going on. So it's it's been a, a really great ride, and um, AVI. We, we've kind of been investing a lot in, um, in particular, like I just mentioned the task management thing, but there's other things too, like we're using machine learning to do some um, analysis of our products. Um, that's kind of on the on the docket coming up here. Um, in addition, some other projects that are coming down the pike here that are pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, that's, I get to work on, on the fun stuff and um, it's a real pleasure to work there. Cool. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, you said you had previously worked at ABI. Um, you know, what what did you do in the meantime? What other uh, kind of roles and what other tech were you working with? Yeah, so actually, ABI was my first job out in tech. Um, out of uh, I took a I went through a coding boot camp in Akron called the Software Guild. And when I did, um, I wanted to get a job in tech, obviously. And ABI was one of the ones that made me an offer. Um, when I came out here, I, I just really liked. I loved the company. Um, and the, the, in particular, my boss, um, my, my CIO, Ron Kerensky, is a really an amazing, awesome guy. And um, it really uh, was something that really attracted me to um, to the area and, and to this job in particular. But uh, I was able to jump in there and um, get my feet wet for a, little, for a couple of years. They put me on some um, – I started – actually got hired to do WinForms applications, but – they quickly saw that I had an aptitude for the web because I've been doing some stuff with the front end CSS and um, I had been building some WordPress sites before I went to boot camp. Um, and so they, they put me on um, some projects that were for web. 
And so that was kind of a future facing kind of thing. Um, the pandemic rolled around, some things happened. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to stick around. Um, so I went over to Rocket Mortgage for a few years. Um, I was working remote here from, and I didn't have to move or anything. And um, that was really great. Uh, but I was able to get learn a lot of best practices, working in a big company, see a lot of the ways that things are done there. And then um, I was talking to Ron the entire time and Ron just made a comment one day and he said, hey, we got this opening uh, for a software development manager. Would you want to come? I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, I was I was pretty excited. Uh, I had an awesome opportunity to to move on up in the world and to get a chance to see to kind of implement some of that stuff I learned from Rocket at AVI and, um, you know, and get back to where my roots were um, to you know, be with the people that I knew and um, the culture and the company that I really enjoyed. Yeah. So I, I took it and I, I'm happy I did for sure. That's awesome. Uh, you said you're at the, the software, you went through the software guild in Akron. Yeah. I, and I think that's now defunct, which is kind of a, a shame. Uh, but what was your experience there? I know we have a lot of people and, and Chris Harwell, uh, who's with us is, is one of them who've been looking at boot camps and have went through boot camps. Could you tell us a little bit more about like your boot camp experience? Yeah, actually. Um, so I actually going out of college, um, I had a four year degree, but it was in what I like to refer to as I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Um, it was a literally a liberal arts degree. I, I went to Malone. And so being a Christian college, they made you do theology as part of your group. And then I had to do like business and communications, which is the two most generic things I possibly could pick. You know, like that will get me a job, you know, like um, about 10 years into it, I was in transportation. I hated it. It was boring. I uh, couldn't stand it. And so, I mean, no, no digs on anyone who's in transportation and loves it. Great. Stick where you're at. Um, but for me, it wasn't, it wasn't a good fit. Um, and so I decided to quit my day job, take a huge chance with, you know, three kids at home um, and a stay at home wife. And uh, I jumped into this boot camp. It was a, it was a three month full time, uh, like 60 hour a week kind of commitment. And so it was a, it was oh, a wow. big commitment, um, but it was very, very worthwhile. Um, one of the things that was great about the software guild in particular at the time, um, they were in person as uh, pre pandemic and everything. And, um, so we, I would go into downtown Akron and do the software guild there. Um, and it was, they set it up, the people who built that program, um, uh, they were really smart. They, they put it together in such a way that they kind of, um, they, they took it, took, um, a lot of cues from like the most recent learning science to determine like how people learn in the most efficient way. And they were able to cram quite a bit of knowledge into those three months um because they did it in such a way that it, they they built up the intensity level and then they let it down they built it up and they let it down and it's just which it was almost like gamifying the process of learning um so it was a really great opportunity i, I really enjoyed it and I, I made some good friends and i made some good contacts and i i could not i would i really wish it were still in akron honestly because it was a really great experience and i think you can't if if you have a choice between doing an online boot camp and doing the in-person one, um, I would say personally, from my personal experience, in-person is so much better because you have people you can pick their brains. You can actually see people coding. You can like sit next to each other and like, hey, this isn't working. Uh, can you fix that? And then they'll give you some advice and stuff. And you can kind of have that on the fly experience where whereas with like the online camps, a lot of times it's it's kind of like 
you, you have to wait for someone to come around and, and answer your Slack response, Slack or, or, or get back to you. And like, you have to wait for your time that's appointed for you with a, with a instructor. Um, so I just loved that in-person experience and it was great. Uh, Chris, you're, uh, you were completely remote when you went through Lambda school, right? Do you have any, any comments on, on that? Like, I, I would say, um, you were spot on with like having to wait for responses, but I think in the same regard, like obviously no one knew that the pandemic was going to hit, but like I got very accustomed to like having to make very good questions because I learned that if you model your questions using the stack overflow template, people will answer really fast. Mm. Um, and I like, I guess like not having that like immediate response made me very good at like structuring really good questions because I learned when I asked bad questions, it might take half a day before somebody even like thinks about answering. But if I like, like, Hey, I tried this, this, and this, this is what the problem is. This is what I'm trying to achieve. So on and so forth. Most of the time people were like, it would be like two or three minutes. So I think like in, in the current state of the world, like everything being remote and me, I've never worked in an office and I've been doing this like in web dev for two years now. Mm -hmm. Um, like full time, not just freelance, but like, I think it prepared me a lot for that. Mm. Whereas if I'd like had that experience in an office, it might've been different and harder to transition. Yeah, I, I could, I could totally see that for sure. Um, I think for me, it was more, um, again, I, like I said, it was, this was way pre COVID, you know, it was two years before the pandemic happened. Um, and so I kind of did have a chance to kind of get into the environment and get used to it by the time that rolled around. Um, now I'll say having, when I worked at Rocket, um, they, they had a pretty good system for how to handle remote working and they had it kind of all set up and I was able to just like step in day one and be acclimated to that environment. So I really think it matter. It, it makes a difference what company you're working for, right? If you're working for a company that, hasn't had a, a, you know, a lot of experience with remote work um, or is kind of against it and was kind of forced to go into work, remote work, it can be kind of painful, right? I mean, it, it can be kind of a nightmare. Um, but when you're, when you step into a company that kind of, they, they have a lot of really good onboarding experience, they have a really good um, like team building experience. I think that definitely would be, that definitely helped me, I think a lot in my experience working remote. So I, one thing that Chris mentioned was a, the stack overflow, like question template, which I didn't realize there was literally a template. I just Googled stack overflow, how like questions, and there's a whole wiki on how to ask questions on mm. stack overflow. So I feel like I'm, I'm going to have to look at this cause I, I definitely occasionally have problems getting, you know, having the exact same problem where I'll post on like a discord or something. I'm in like the, the reactive flux discord uh for react developers and a couple others like the tan stack discord and i definitely have had the experience where i've you know sent what i thought was a well-formed message with like examples and what i've tried so far um I'm, I'm curious to double check some of those questions with this template so that might be a uh you know that would be helpful for me so thank you for mentioning that uh, no problem 
One question I have for you, Ben, because um, as I mentioned, I've never actually worked in an office. Could you, like, I'd like to hear what that experience is like, to be honest, because I have no idea what that's like. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and I know there's a lot of folks in Youngstown and the tech scene in particular that do have full-time remote jobs uh, or for startups out of the area. And so I think it's definitely a very common question for our area. Um, when you work in, a, in an environment uh, like like ABI, where um, you're kind of see, it's kind of a different ABI because ABI is is not traditionally like a tech company, right? Um, and so uh, there's a little bit different kind of mindset when it comes to the the coming into the office and you know different like what kind of things you wear or things like that. But like, and, and I don't want to go into that too much. But like, I think one of the pluses of coming into the office is you do have someone kind of, you have people around you in an immediate capacity that can actually can not only like you can interact with um, on, a, on a business basis, you know, asking them questions about what you're trying to get accomplished or asking for experience, experiential questions that they may have that you don't have. Um, but you also get kind of some kind of the camaraderie that I know was kind of missing on my team when I was at Rocket. I think I'm, I'm a lot closer with a lot of the guys that I work with. Uh, at ABI just simply because of proximity and being able to, you know, we go to the same restaurants, we're familiar with the same, with, with the general area. You don't have to like deal with like, all right, they're all talking about some pizza shop up in Detroit that I have no idea. I've never been to. And, you know, Hey, I can mention little Caesars and then have them say, Hey, Oh, you mean little Sleezers? I'm like, Oh really? That's a thing. Okay, cool. Um, that was, it was kind of interesting because like a lot of the people I was working with in Detroit, like, they had this like whole culture that I was just completely disconnected from being fully remote where I was at. And so at AVI, it's kind of nice because you have that same, you know, Hey, you want to go to Buena Vista and get some chicken or you, Oh, Hey, Hey, we're going to go out to eat lunch, you know, or you want to join like, and even on days where I might be like at home or something, I can just hop in my car, drive 10 minutes away and go meet with the people I work with. Um, which is, is really good for building team, um, camaraderie and, and stuff. So yeah, I, it's one of the pluses for sure. Now you also get distracted a lot too. <laughs> um, you know, you, you start talking and yeah, pretty soon it's like 20 minutes have gone by and you're like, Oh wait, uh, I know what's going on with his daughter and her ballet recital, but um, I need to get this done. <laughs> like, you know? So let me go back to my desk now. Um, so there, there's pluses and minuses, I guess too. Yeah, I think I have a similar problem, except it's with my spouse. I walk into my living room and, oh, hey, this is what's going on today. Or I like, start playing with my son. So I guess it's like, it's similar. Like next thing you know, it's like, oh, half an hour's passed. I need to get back to work. Ben, you mentioned building teams. And I know that at AVI, you're currently, uh, you know, building a team. Uh, and you're, you've been hiring talent, including like some fresh code Youngstown talent. Uh, would you say that being in, I guess I have a couple questions around this, but would you say being in person has made it easier to hire, you know, less experienced talent and train them up? Um, honestly, no. Um, hmm. it's, it seems to be that pretty much everyone is expecting and wanting remote work even if they're close and local. And I think the thing that we've kind of settled on is more of a hybrid approach. Um, 
now this is still kind of in flux. We're still trying to figure out what's going on. So I don't want to go too much into detail on that. But I think for me, um, I could probably get more into the the comment about um, like what it's like to be a manager in particular um, in this environment. We have we have some we have a very unique environment. The thing I noticed, um, we did this round of hire of interviewing and hiring. I ended up, I ended up getting one of my uh, guys, John, Brandon, Rich, Brandon Ritchie, who is um, a code Youngstown affiliate. He's, he's awesome. Um, but Brandon interviewed with me. Um, there were like, I want to say about 60 applicants for that junior position. Um, I had opened up a med- mid-level and a senior level position at the same time. And I got like a handful of people and none of them were remote. Not uh, quite a few, uh, quite a few of them like didn't really have the qualifications or um, there just weren't a lot of talented folks that were really applying for that position. That was kind of a hybrid role. And are these local or like now? So they were, there were, there were a few that were willing to move here. A um, couple that when we found out a little bit about the area, they're like, no. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and to be honest, let me, I'll be fair. Like I'm a transplant myself. I didn't, I didn't grow up here. Um, so I grew up in, in the Akron, Canton area. And the first time my wife and I drove through here, we drove up five through the center of the world, which is definitely not the center of the world, by the way. Um, I no no offense to anyone from the center of the world. I'm sure that you guys can make the center of the world great and wonderful. Um, but there's some buildings that really need to be torn down over there. Is um, this a reference to something that, is there a place called the center of the world that yeah, I just don't a, know about? A little, like, I'm not sure if it's this town. It's it's basically, I think it's in Braceville now, but there's like, it used to be called it the center of the world. That used to be the name of the town. And it was like all these old motels that are falling down. And there's like all these like buildings and, and all these like companies that are just like completely gone. And yeah, it's scary. Like when I was driving through there the first time, I'm like, what am I getting myself into? Right. But then I got to where I live now, like the Cortland area and like there's other places around this area that are like really great. And so it's a little bit of a culture shock, Um, but there's some really great things about it too. And um, I know like, well, we can set, I guess, I guess I can segue into this really a little bit. What things I love about the area. Um, I love the pace of this area in general. It's, it's really great. Like how people do not seem to be in such a hurry, um, which for me is a real big plus because when I'm, I used to drive up, um, in, in, Ac- in the Akron Canton area up to Cleveland a lot every day. And that drive was a nightmare. Um, I drove up 77. It was just stop and go traffic like the whole way. I get on like 90 and then there was stock and go traffic all the way there. And then when you don't, even on the side roads, it's just like terrible. People are hawking each other. You don't have that around here. It's, it's kind of a slower pace. People are not as worried about like getting where they're going to go and, and being, um, being kind of uptight. So, um, yeah. Um, I like the area. (laughs) So I don't know how I got off on that, but I wanted to just, yeah, I just, I wanted to kind of balance it out and say, there's a lot of things to love about, about the Youngstown Warren area too. And the food is great too, by the way, like we have some amazing food joints. I don't know about you guys. Like I, one of us, I just mentioned like that chicken. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, 
Even though the Greek fried chicken is pretty good. Oh. Uh, uh, there's a couple in Mahoning County, too. Really? Uh, one is on 46 in Austintown, I think. Uh, yep. Like just north of Mahoning. And then I think there's one on 224 in Boardman. Boardman just got a Swenson's. That's kind of coming from where I grew up. That's like when I go back, to, I actually wrote them a letter when I moved here. I was like, Swenson's, can you please come to Warren? It was right at the time. I don't know if you guys remember when rallies went in downtown. Um, there was not a rallies there. And the, they wrapped it around. Like when they first put that rallies in and it opened up for the first week, they had to have police on that road because it's a direct traffic because there was like literally a line wrapped around the block just to go to rallies. And I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> and, and now no one goes there. I guess, yeah. <laughs> I live right by it. Uh, interestingly enough, that rallies was not the first rallies here. Like there used to be a few and then they all pulled out. Like there was one in front of the Eastwood mall. Really? And then, yeah. And then like, I think like around 2005, it shuttered and they tore it down and built that plaza with um, like the Panera and mm. the pulp and all of that. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. I'm, yeah, and so uh, Little Caesars, same way. Like, we used to have Little Caesars all over the place, and then they all closed, and they just started coming back again, like, a few years ago. Oh, uh, Little Caesars. I'm so sad, because, like, I live in Cortland, and they had a they had a Little Caesars here, and it was, like, the best thing ever. And then, but the problem was it was in the same uh, same plaza as the the med medical testing facility. And so when all the, when COVID started ramping up, everyone and their mother needed to get a test, and so people would be wrapped around that parking lot. And there, I mean, the, the entrance was open, but no one was going to Little Caesars because it's like, I'm not walking through that. <laughs> um, and they, they closed, but I have a Romeo's now there, I guess. So it's a consolation prize, I suppose. <laughs> we do have a weird amount of like, food, like even the, sometimes the good restaurant shut down. Like yeah. we had a, like Nicolini's and Boardman shut down. Um, that brunch place downtown shut down. It's kind of a shame that a lot of these really nice restaurants, some or at least good restaurants, like, you know, don't don't find like someone to sell their their company to or, or don't want to. Um, there's there's uh, a lot of short lived good ones. Um, there's also the two Tim Hortons that were put in and then immediately closed. But that's that's that was an odd story. Like they opened up and then two weeks later, like they're shuttered. I'm like, I mean, I know people don't like donuts, but I mean that much. Like, I guess it was a, it was a merit. They shut down a bunch of them, though. It wasn't just our area. It's from what I understand. Gotcha. They, they did that in Akron too. I think there's one in Akron still operating somehow, but hmm. yeah, it's kind of weird. They got aggressive in their expansion, and then they must have run out of money or something. Because minor observation being someone that like moved to ohio from a completely different state and maybe y'all will like notice this after i pointed out but there was like an excessive amount of italian and pizza restaurants in this area like i feel like anything that isn't italian or like pizza just doesn't stick around very long because like yeah, that, that comes back to like this area getting settled originally. Like there was a lot of Italian and Greek immigrants here. Yes. And so that's why like 80% of the churches you see are Catholic or, you know, Eastern Orthodox. That's why all the restaurants are 
Italian, Greek, or Greek slash Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's why we have Italian and Greek festivals every two weeks yep. in, in either Warren or Youngstown. I work for a Greek company. Drossi, Drossi is a Greek name on purpose. It pays homage to our company's roots. Um, founder John Paabolos is Greek, so his whole family. It's interesting. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's really weird coming from, like, coming up here, and I like it because, like, down south, there's, like, I mean, you have Cajun restaurants mm-hmm. and KFC and Popeye's. That's about it. Well, and we've got the Storming Crab now. That's about the closest we're going to get to Cajun, unless that place that just went in at the Eastwood Mall turns out to be any good. Oh, wait, it's, a, it's at the Eastwood Mall now. I didn't know that. No, it's King Cajun Seafood Buffet or something. The, the Storming Crab wants to be Cajun and Southern, but I went there and I was like, this doesn't taste like the real thing. This is a knockoff. It's mm. a joke. I, this I, is, I, it's, it's okay. It's close enough, but it's not, it's not the real thing. Probably get me fooled. I think Popeye's is Cajun. <laughs> no, no, that's not Popeye's. What's the other one? Uh, Churches. No. Y'all got churches up here? We don't have churches up here, I don't think. No, there's a... Uh, I'm thinking of Bojangles. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually really excited. I'm going on vacation next week. Uh, Atlantic Beach, North Carolina. And there's uh, Bojangles there. My brother-in-law loves it. He wants to go there. Like He sneaks away all the time and be like, where'd you go? Oh, I was going to the grocery store. You went to Bojangles, didn't you? <laughs> uh, we... We go to North Carolina a couple times a year, and we always there's a Bojangles. There used to be Bojangles in um, Ripley, West Virginia, that we used to stop at all the time, but it closed. So now we have to stop at the one in like Princeton, which is like right on the West Virginia Virginia border. So like it ends up like two hours, two three hours late for lunch. <laughs> just feels wrong now. There's this this um, local chain down there that my kids are just super excited about. It's kind of like Swenson's, except their burgers, I don't think they're as good, but um, cookout, they call it. They have like 60 different types of milkshakes and stuff. And I had this one that I, last time it was actually a watermelon milkshake, but it wasn't just like watermelon flavor, flavored. It actually had like chunks of watermelon in it. It was delicious, man. It was the most delicious milkshake ever. <laughs> as you can't tell, I'm a foodie. So, I mean, um, you know, bringing it a little back up for food. Yeah. So, um, yeah. You said you grew up in Akron and, um, you know, was it the job, your original job at AVI that brought you out to, to the Youngstown area or did you move out first? And then that was, you know, what kind of, yeah, I I actually tried making it work. I lived in Stowe and, um, I tried to drive about an hour or 25 minutes or so for about around a year. And at the year I said, no way. Um, at the time, like I was kind of being told by all the people I worked with, like, Hey, you should just move out here. This cost of living is a lot lower. It was lower, um, but not quite as low. I mean, if I was coming from New York or San Francisco, it'd be like a lot lower. But coming from Akron, Kansas, it was just it was just moderately lower. But I think I feel like it's kind of gone up, like housing prices, especially. Man, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's like just people coming coming back home or what. But I know like my neighborhood, the prices have just gone through the roof. Um, so. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know what it is, like, something with, like, Cortland specifically, but also, like, Canfield, Poland, like, the, 
you know, all the areas with the, like the nicer school districts yeah. went way through the roof compared to even everywhere else around here. Yeah. Like, um, you know, I was seeing houses go up here in Cortland that were like, you know, they sold one for one sixty in like 2015 and now they're go asking like 319 for them. Yep. I, um, I am currently looking at a house and I've seen that myself in those actual areas, Cortland, Canfield, Howland, nice areas. Um, and all the houses that we look at that like have like a decent size yard and like decent size, they're like 320, 350. And like two years ago, they were like 158, 160. Like you look at the price history in like the past two to three years, it's just like shot up. Oh yeah. It's like I think my house was less than a hundred K two years ago and I bought I just bought it in October. So I guess it's not just it's almost a year ago. Um and I bought it for uh hundred eighty. So it's like, you know, fifty mm. percent increase. It's it's kind of crazy. I don't I don't know where things are, are, it's still way lower than anywhere else, right? Like, um, it's Liberty. So like the school district is okay. Um, so that's not really it. I, I think just the prices everywhere increased. A lot of those investors started just buying up random properties, just drove all the price up and prices up. Um, well, I think too, there's a, there's a shortage of building too. There has been since the 2008 crisis when all the um, housing collapsed. So a lot of those builders like went under, like I, I have a good friend that's a realtor and he basically kind of explained like, this isn't the same kind of, like, this isn't like the kind of bubble that we had in 2008 where, you know, everything's just exploding and then it's going to crash. Like we don't really know for sure what's going to happen, but most likely it's probably going to stabilize. It might go down a little bit, but he said it probably won't, you know, probably won't crash unless something horrible happens in the whole country, but you know, hopefully not. And that about matches my, expectations and what i've heard as well um which thank goodness for my property value yeah but <laughs> i've i've heard um from from actually just the houses that i've looked at and among other things I, it's a combination of that like a lot yeah. of the houses that we looked at somebody bought it for like literally like one house that we looked at two days ago they bought it for 158. They redid everything. This house was gorgeous. Like I'm talking brand new roof, like right in the center of Mill Creek Park. Like everything was redone. Just the windows alone were probably like 20,000. Like you had your living area and it was just all windows, straight, just woods. Like looked out the window and there's like five deer in the yard. And they're... <laughs> It was absolutely amazing, but they bought it for 158 and they were selling it for 320. But everything was redone. And like there's been a lot of houses where like we looked at it and they're like, this is really nice. And then we find out from a realtor, they were like, Yeah, it looks like they just bought this and they redid everything like three months ago. They just bought this and they're reselling it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a combination of just everywhere is going up and uh, lots of investors buying yeah. houses and flipping them. It's good for our area, you know. The more more houses, like in some ways, in some ways, you know, obviously it's. There's been a lot of historic houses we've looked at that I like. I like the older styles and like yeah. seeing these. Like we looked at one. The only reason we said no is because 
they didn't update the electrical system and it was a house from 1951 and there was they they didn't have like the grounds and the plugs so we couldn't even like plug in a refrigerator because there was there was only two prongs it's interesting because back when code youngstown first started like seven or eight years ago um like nick and i were talking about okay so the low cost of living around here we can like pull in talent that way like hey we have some tech companies you can convince somebody to move to Youngstown for the cost of living benefit alone. And, you know, they could take advantage of, you know, the low cost of living and just work for a local company as opposed to, you know, needing to, to live in, you know, wherever and not being able to afford a house. Um, you know, you could actually, you know, buying a house in Youngstown is actually something that you could think of. It's a, it's something you consider it when in a lot of places you can't. Um, but now with, with COVID it's the, like the story has kind of changed where it's not about, um, you know, it's about trying to keep talent here now and like them work remote. Um, it's a lot harder to make the argument cause you can, you can work from anywhere and maybe we can convince some like San Francisco natives or, or coast natives to, to move here. But it's a lot easier to argue, Hey, just, you, you don't have to leave. You could work remote. And you know, that, that seems to actually be like working out for us. Like we've, we've definitely seen more people who are, are graduating and, and talented and sticking around. Um, that being said, I'm going to uh, segue to my next question. Um, have, ha, are there any specific challenges, Ben, with like um, trying to form like a team of software engineers in Youngstown that you've seen? Yeah, I think there's, um, there's definitely some challenges. Um, you kind of hit on them a little bit with the remote kind of top conversation. I think even those folks who work here, they're getting opportunities from outside of here and they're all remote. And so competing with that, with, um, with current kind of the climate of our companies here in this area, companies tend to be, I mean, now with the exception of places that are a little more techie, um, Traditional companies tend to be a little more traditional down here, out here. So, you know, it, we're, we, like at AVI, it's been kind of, um, I guess, difficult to kind of move with the way things have moved with um, remote work, with um, kind of the more flexible, flexible arrangements. We've always been a very family first company. So, you know, like I always tell people when I'm interviewing them, you know, the main thing is like family comes first. And, you know, so if you got a back, like a doctor's appointment, or if you got something going on with your, your kid, you know, the, it, do it, you know, just go. Um, we have a, like a first day of school kind of thing. We, they always send out an announcement, like around the time of the first day of school. And they say, hey, when, you, when you, your kids go to school, like, just go be with them, you know, take them, get them on the bus, you know, that kind of thing. But I think, though, like the remote thing is kind of, in some ways, makes it a lot harder. Because in the past, you could basically go out and find some moderately talented folks that lived in the area that would be willing to come and work here. And now even those moderately talented folks, um, they're, they're working for other people outside the area and they're making significantly more money. Um, and so trying to match that and being in the ballpark, um, for that is hard, but it's also one of those things where it's also kind of challenging us to think, globally for our talent or think think like nationally for our talent instead of and also reach for the sky you know and, and say you know hey we can get talented folks to work for our companies locally 
may not work here. I mean, they may, they may not live on site. They might not be close, but it is a possibility and it could really expand the kind of offerings that our local companies can offer. Um, so like, particularly, I think, you know, there, I mentioned machine learning earlier, like we did some, de- the, some POCs and, you know, you don't have a lot of tech, you, like people who know machine learning have a very specific skill set. They, they've had to dig into it. They're, they usually have, um, you know, they have graduate degrees. They're very experienced with what's, what's, um, with data analysis and analysis. And so it's kind of harder to find those folks in the area. But now that COVID has kind of opened that door for remote work, it allows us to hire outside of just the area while also building up and bringing up those who are in the area. Like, like my, 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 um, my buddy, Brandon, you know, works for me. Um, he came in and we've been able to kind of like mesh with some folks. Actually, Chris, you'll appreciate this one of, one of the guys from Robert Half uh, is working with us right now on a project and, and we've been able to have, you know, Brandon kind of, and myself work with this guy who's not local and just really pick his brain and learn everything we possibly can. And he's very, very talented in a particular subset of, of code. Um, and I think that really brings all of us up. So I think the real, the real trick building a team is to have a team that is distributed, but also like you're also building up the local talent so that they're not just being built up by local folks. They're being built up by literally the best. Um, and so I think that it all, it, it builds us all up. It helps us all when, when we can all kind of learn from each other and, and that's that way. And I, I've seen that as well, where, um, with code Youngstown, where like seven or eight years ago, a lot of people were you know, in their own microisms or microism, whatever it is, whatever the right word is, uh, where, you know, they were with a company for a long time, they did, you know, C sharp, and they only did C sharp. And, you know, for some legacy reason, they never upgraded to whatever. And that's what they did. They were a certain type of developer, and they never really interacted with, you know, national, national level levels of talent. And this move to remote work really does give us the opportunity to you know, be competitive, have competitive talent, and and have more opportunities to interact with you know in, internationally, like recognized and and you know it, it brings the whole area up in terms of talent. I completely agree with that. So Ben, um, you know, you kind of mentioned one of the things you guys are doing to try and account for for you know salary differentiation and the talent pool here is look you know, at a broader hiring area and like hiring remote people from elsewhere to work and, and come in. Yeah. Um, do you feel like sometimes that might undercut the, uh, the local feel that the rest of your team has? Like, you know, you talked earlier about how great it is to be able to work with the people you're like, you know, next to the people you're working yeah. with and like pick their brain, like get eyes on the code you're working on, get eyes on their code. Um, you know, how do you, I guess, find a balance there? And how do you feel like that actually affects those, uh, those benefits? Yeah, Neil, I think that's a really good question because I think it goes back to being intentional um, as you're building a team. You have to be intentional about, you know, where you're hiring. Obviously you, you have certain as a hiring manager, you have certain criteria you have to fit within. You can't discriminate for all the different reasons. Um, one of those is locations. I mean, you got to be 
cognizant of the fact that um, yeah, as long as they can they can fulfill certain requirements and be in the office a certain amount of time um, that you tell them they need to be, um, then you know you can't really say I want this person because they're five minutes down the road as opposed to this one is sixty one minutes away. Uh, that being said, I know there's there's also a plus side of it too, um, and that is when we're doing what in the past when we would be hiring folks um, locally, we would be using local standards. And so typically Youngstown and Warren area tend to be really low salaries across the board. Um, I think with the COVID pandemic and all the things that have come about as a result with remote work, it's caught, it's forced us um, as employers to kind of look at what salaries look like in the general area. I wouldn't say necessarily nationally, because I think you know, New York and San Francisco are always never going to be on par. Um, and I think honestly, that that's probably a good thing because San Francisco and New York have unrealistic living standards, in my opinion. Um, like, I mean, if you're, if you're a dev who lives in the area and you can command a San Francisco salary or New York salary, like that's great. Like good for you. Like go buy that $350,000 house because you know, good. <laughs> like, but, but I think it also, it does raise up our salaries locally to be a little bit more competitive with Cleveland and with Pittsburgh, with Columbus, with these other kind of growing tech communities and makes us more competitive because before we were kind of like you mentioned earlier, kind of in your own microcosm, you were only seeing the talent that you had in your local locally. You were only seeing the salaries you had locally. Now you have options and exposure to a little bit further out. But I think you also need to be very, very aware of the fact that we need to be building up the folks that are here too, giving them opportunities, paying them the same that we would be paying someone from Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Columbus. And that's how you keep people, quite honestly. You pay them well, you treat them well, and you give them opportunities to grow. And then you don't have as much of a turnover. You don't have as much of an issue where... I mean, you're going to always have a turnover intact. Don't get me wrong, but you know, hopefully they'll stick around a little longer than three, three to six months, um, you know, and they'll help grow as you grow. So that's kind of how, like as a hiring manager, I'm kind of, I kind of think about it. Like, yes. Am I open to someone? If I have like someone coming in from Pittsburgh or Cleveland or Columbus, am I going to make the opportunity if I'm talking to them and they're like a rock star? Yeah. I'm going to make the pitch to try to get them hired. Because I, I still want talent, you know, I, I still need talent to be able to build things like machine learning platforms, like, um, you know, a lot of the other stuff I can't talk about um, that's coming down the pike, like the these other platforms that are these, these software development um, systems that we're building. Um, but we also need to build up our local folks too, if that makes sense. I think that was extremely well articulated that was great i feel like that's extremely quotable i wonder if we can put that somewhere everything you just said that was that was great thank you i have no idea what i just said but okay <laughs> <laughs> i also have adhd so <laughs> I'm a, i just forgot everything i just said so ben um something that i was i was thinking about you mentioned like um the standards that you look for like trying to find talent and all of that something that I was, I was thinking about, like, could you like, when you're looking to hire talent or just what, what 
is that standard that you're looking for? Like, let's say we have some, you mentioned, I think it was Ryan. Um, uh, Brandon, Brandon. Brandon, yes. Yeah. Names. Um, yeah, you mentioned Brandon. You know, if I remember correctly, he's he was fresh out of college. So, like, if you could go into, like, detail or, or just a little bit, like, what you look for when you're, for, for anyone looking to get into the industry, what you look for as a manager for that talent, like what, like not just tech skills, but like soft skills too. Cause I know, I know for a fact, like half the time, just being able to communicate is half the battle. It's not just how well you can write code. It's like, you know, Rome wasn't built in the day and it wasn't built by one person either. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a really, really succinct and, and on-point question, Chris. Um, when we're looking for talent, I'm looking for talent. I'm trying to do hiring as a hiring manager. Um, I kind of had some mentors that kind of walked me through this before I took the job as a manager. And one of the things they, they taught me and that I've kind of internalized is you can't teach soft skills. Um, people either have them or they don't. They can get better at them. But... One thing that you, I, you actually need to look for is, can they speak to other people? <laughs> um, can they have intelligible conversations? Can they, can they make something like complex, like software development, simple enough to understand without dumbing it down and making the other person feel in a, inferior in a, you know, in, a, in a way that they don't feel good, right? I think that's, those kind of skills are so important and so that's why when I'm interviewing, I'm always asking questions like, tell me about a time when you had a frustrating situation where someone didn't quite understand something that you were trying to explain to them. How did you get that through to them? And you got to listen for the answer and you got to listen very carefully, not to what they're saying, but to how they're saying it. Um, because I can tell you a lot about um, their actual abilities to deal with folks who are non-technical like avi like we're a food service company a lot of our people that we work with in internal to our company don't have a lot of tech skills um and so you need to be able to walk someone through your application you just built which is an incredibly complex application in code and a build a ui that's going to be intuitive enough that they can just click it and figure it out without having all these crazy like help, help facts. And sometimes you even still need to add those, but you also need to be able to pick up the phone and someone's calling you and saying, Hey, I'm trying to get this button to show up and it's not working. Okay. Well, you need to be able to dig out of it. Okay. What do you mean by this button? What do you mean by not working without making that person feel like you're trying, you're kind of like talking down to them or anything like that. So, that is actually a much more important skill when I'm interviewing someone than, you know, can you do this code kata? Uh, are you able to do this whiteboard exercise? I hate those actually. I cannot stand those inter those interviews and I don't do them um, because, because they don't work. Um, it, unless you're in, in an environment where you have kind of a, like a test factory. <laughs> like I, I interviewed when I was in the, in the guild, I had an interview with a couple different places. Um, AVI was one of them. And then I had another op another opportunity actually um, up in the Cleveland area with another company that would have been kind of that test, um, one of those kind of test factories where 
you get in there and you're basically as a new dev, you're just writing tests and that's all you do. Um, it doesn't challenge you. It doesn't grow you. And I think, and I really, really am a huge fan and believer that you should be and when you're doing coding, you should try to be doing it full stack if possible. Um, but you should also be as a manager, like myself, I should be seeing, Hey, this person is really good at the front end. So I'm going to nurture that. I'm going to give them opportunities to grow that. Um, I'm going to also challenge them by throwing some backend stuff to them and seeing how they do. And if they're good at that, I'm going to keep giving them more of that. Um, and so you want to like play to their strengths, but also challenge them. And that's kind of one of the hardest parts of managing in general is trying to be attuned and aware to your team and seeing like, okay, where are they at? Where could they be? And trying to be a little bit future facing for things that they may not even see themselves. And that kind of a little bit on tangent there at the end there, but it's kind of, kind of my MO. <laughs> I think that's perfectly fine. Um, yeah. I, I think something I wanted to really ask of, uh, of you before we start kind of getting ready to wind down is, you know, you talked about how you came from like a C sharp.net background. Um, you know, what other technologies have you been working with and what other technologies does your team work with? Yes. Um, so we, we, I still do a lot of C sharp. Um, our APIs are all written in C sharp generally .NET core. So the most recent .NET six stuff, I guess it's not really called core anymore. They, they changed the name four or five different times. So, um, <laughs> they also told us that framework would never go away and then it went away. Um, it's a pretty Microsoft thing to do. But um, yeah, we do we do build our APIs in in C sharp still. We use um, generally Postgres or T-SQL, depending on which application we're working with for the backend um, database. Generally, most of the time now it's Postgres. Um, and on the front end, we are using Angular. Um, I, I looked at Angular, React, and Vue, and I know um, Joe and I would not see eye to eye on this. I think because Joe's a is a Reactite and I'm an Angularite, but that's a thing. Um, <laughs> but um, I personally like Angular because it kind of gives you some guide rails that you can use to uh, that that new devs in particular can say if you learn this, you're generally going to be within the best principles of of object oriented programming. Um, you're going to be within the best principles of like know what you own. Um, and what you don't know, because Angular gives you a lot of things out of the box that you have to go hunting for in third-party packages with like React or Vue. Um, so we use Angular in the front end and TypeScript. Um, we're doing some like Cypress tests for our UI tests um, and Jest. And I love NX Mono repos. It's like the best thing that's ever happened. So if I get someone who's a rock star in, in uh, React and they insist on writing React, you know, we can work with that because NX works with both. Um, but yeah, kind of that's kind of our, our general tech stack, and that's what I work with generally. Um, I've dabbled with some other stuff too. I've done a little, little bit of um, Ruby and Rails. Um, I, I honest, I'll be honest, I didn't like Ruby. Um, it was confusing to me because it was, I was just coming out of Code Bootcamp, and it, I had learned all C-sharp stuff, and then they threw Ruby at me, and it's like, I think the diff it's kind of like the difference between like, English and Ukrainian, right? Whereas like, like you had just very different languages, um, very different others, like ways of looking at like code. Um, 
And so I, I don't know, maybe it was just because like I was missing my IntelliSense. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think I couldn't get with Ruby. Uh, I did a little bit with, uh, we do some stuff with Airflow at AVI. Um, so we've done a little bit of Python and things like that too. Uh, YAML files obviously are all Python based, but I still can't get over the, I can't get into the tabs thing. I, I don't, I'm sorry. I know y'all love Python, but I'm, I'm not, I love me my curly brackets. <laughs> um, but that's yeah, kind of my general, my general stack. Um, so, you know, what other technologies would you personally like to learn or get some time spending, spend some time learning? Good question. Um, I want to get into doing and to check out um, some more like, obviously machine learning. I kind of mentioned that a little bit. I want to dabble into that myself, not just hire someone that can do it. Um, I want to kind of understand how that works. Um, so that's get, that's on my docket. I also want to, like I've started, I mentioned Ionic earlier. Ionic is like a really cool tool because it gives you, it's kind of the best of both worlds. It lets you build the native apps while also leveraging your TypeScript skills with Angular. You can keep using Angular and just build an iOS app that has native geolocation, native um, camera, and all these different features that you would have out of the box with like, if you're writing in Swift or Objective-C or Kotlin or something. Um, so that's that's been fun. I've been doing that at, at AVI and on my side, on, little, on the side for some little fun projects. Um, I wanna do some Raspberry Pi stuff. So I've been, I wanna like kind of play around with it. And uh, I've been seeing, and maybe it's just my, my, you know, squirrel mindset, but like, I've been going, um, I've been seeing these things pop up on Amazon. They're like these little touch touchpad um, boards that like plug into the Raspberry Pi. And I'm like, I want to, I wonder if I could build myself like a, I don't know, like some sort of touch screen, like app or something for fun. So I might do that. <laughs> Keep an eye out at uh, Micro Center. They have some of the smaller spec Raspberry Pis for like, five or 10 bucks. Nice. Uh, yeah. They don't have like the full header set or like four gigs of memory or anything, but it's enough to just like install Raspbian on and get like, I think there's like eight GPIO pins on them. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'll check in that. I want to, I've been kind of, I got a Raspberry Pi not too long, not too long ago, about two years ago, I think. Uh, Pi three. I'm not sure exactly which one it is. No, it be Pi four. Um, and it's uh, I did I put a retro pie on it. It's pretty fun. Got my little SNES control like controller, and I can play games on it. Completely legal games, of course. Of course. See what what you should do to replace that is you should go get the FPGA setup, the Mister. Yeah. Replace your retro pie setup, and then take your Raspberry Pi from the retro pie and do all your hardware hacking with that. That's a good idea. That's a really good idea. I um. I recently, in the beginning of the pandemic, we moved our washer and dryer up to the second floor. So, like, I have this open, um, they call those chutes, the laundry chutes. I've been, like, dreaming about, like, building, like, a bellhop or something, like, a, like an elevator and, like, hooking up to a Raspberry Pi or something and just having it, like, up and down. I don't know. Maybe, maybe one day I'll get around to it, but. All right, cool. Um, you know, I got uh, two more questions for you before we start to wrap it up. First one, uh, just to be a little controversial, what is your development environment of choice? Are you Linux, Mac, or Windows? 
Um, this is going to sound awkward uh, coming from a .NET background, but I like Mac. I personally like, I, I use a Mac for all my .NET development and my TypeScript, you know, Angular development. Um, I haven't gotten deep enough into Linux, but I think I'd probably be able to hold my own on it because I have used it for like Docker containers and things like that. Um, Windows is okay. It's getting better um, with like Windows subsystem for Linux too. I can do stuff that a little faster than it was, but I know like a couple of years ago when I was trying to do Angular, just the N ng build command took like forever on, <laughs> on a Windows computer. And then I'm like, I have my Windows computer over here and my Mac on the other side. I'm like, I'm gonna run the same bit command, press the button at the same time. And it's like the Windows computer was like 40 seconds longer. It just like, it just drove me crazy. So I, uh, I basically just stuck with a Mac. <laughs> but, so I will say though, the Visual Studio 2022 experience for, for Windows is significantly um, better than VS for Mac. So VS for Mac, they still have a, quite a bit of up, updates to do to get up to par. Um, it, VS for Mac seems to be, I think they originally built it for like game development. And so they didn't really have like MVC in mind or APIs or anything like that. And so it's not really built for that kind of subset. But so like we have a hot reload button that you can set up on the Windows one where you make the changes to the code and it will just, as long as it doesn't like, um, cause a compilation error in C sharp, it'll just live reload that just that little bit of code. You don't have that on Mac. Um, so I have to do some other things. Like I have to run it on command line, like .NET watch run, and it'll do basically this almost the same thing, but not quite as well, but yeah, but I like my Mac. <laughs> I just, I love how your answer to windows is getting better is because windows now includes Linux. That's exactly it. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, the, uh, the last thing is like, is there anything you want to plug? Like any, you know, anything of yours, Twitter, social, anything, um, any other local restaurants or businesses you like to support or, you know, are you uh, currently looking to hire anyone? Yeah. So we are going to be probably hiring some people. I'm still in the process of finally, of getting final approvals for that. Um, and once I have those, we will, I'll be able to put that out on the code Youngstown Slack. Uh, for everyone to know, uh, if you want to reach out to me, the press place is probably on the code Youngstown Slack. Um, reach out. I'm always on there. It pops up whenever you guys uh, say something. So I love to check that out a lot. Um, I'm not a big social media user. I'm, I mean, I'm on there, but like if you message me, I'll probably get back to you in like three months. Um, I don't even know if I even have a Twitter account anymore, honestly. Um, I, yeah, I have opinions about Twitter, but um, <laughs> I have opinions about a lot of things. <laughs> Couldn't tell. Um, but yeah, that's probably the best place to reach me. All right, cool. Um, you know, so one thing we want to go over before we end the show is, you know, upcoming Code Young Tum events. Uh, Joe, would you like to talk about what we've got going on in September? Yes, uh, in September, the, the 27th, it's a Tuesday at 6 p.m., uh, we have our uh, annual tech talks or, or excuse me our annual lightning talk event um so we'll have six um six minute long tech talks we just opened uh our call for proposals uh a couple days ago uh we don't have the events up yet but hopefully by the time the uh 
the the this is published it's august 17th right now and hopefully by the time this is published that, that'll be on all of our social media um in the meantime uh, you know if you're listening to this and you're like oh man i really want to give a, a lightning talk definitely hit me up joe dunko on slack um it might there might be a spot left who knows but but let me know and and you know i'd love to to talk to you and and get you on our list uh, it's it's normally it's a it's a lot of fun, especially for first-time speakers. It's a good opportunity to, you know, share something you're working on or something you're excited about, and you know, it's low, um, you know, low obligation. It's it's only a six-minute-long talk. You don't have to put together a whole half an hour, hour-long thing. Um, it's a and it's a lot of fun. So that's uh, September twenty-seventh. It's a Tuesday at Westside Bowl at six p.m. Thanks. All right, that is it for this episode of the Code Youngstown podcast. We want to thank Ben Reinhardt for joining us today. Uh, and also, we'd like to thank you, our listeners. We'll be back with another episode next month. And in the meantime, join the community on our Slack through slack.codeyoungstown.com. And be sure to like, subscribe, and rate our podcast on your listening platform of choice. Thank you. Goodbye.